0: Well, we've sort of been taking these first few verses of Philippians 1 out of uh, just sort of a, almost a topical message, and and last week we, we looked at, or the last time we were together, we looked at verse 6, which he who began the good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ, and such a great verse, and I uh, wanted to do just a special message on that for people to have that. And... Um, But don't forget, earlier, Paul had started the letter off by saying, hey, I'm praying for you guys. And and he goes right into a prayer. This is a little different than his other letters. But right from the beginning, he said, I'm praying for you guys. I love you guys. Remember back in verse 3 and 4, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you, all with what? With joy. With joy. And a big part of the reason we find in verse 7 and 8. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch in both my chains and the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affections of Jesus Christ. So Paul thanks them first of all, that they stood with Paul through their trials. Now, through his trials of being imprisoned and and going through the humiliation of staying in prison for years. Now, I'll just let you know, next week, he's going to talk about how most churches did not do that. a matter of fact, they saw that Paul being imprisoned was God shutting him up because his doctrine of grace was wrong. And that there were many pastors of many of churches, even that Paul started, who were teaching people. Paul is being punished by God by being put in prison by God to shut him up because his doctrine of grace is bad. Isn't that incredible? So we're going to look at that next week. And, and, but, but here he's saying, you guys didn't get fooled by these guys. And you stood with me. And then he says something interesting. You received the same grace that he did. You know, I I have seen families who have had to wrestle with special needs babies and then children and then adults. And the grace they've been given to do that. And then, of course, as kids taking care of their elderly parents, God, again, gives a grace to uh, you know, I, I know with me and my wife, which is, is a lot of people, we got the last kid out <laughs> and her parents came in. So that wonderful little season of her, just me and her again, like before we started having kids decades earlier, it didn't happen for us. And all of a sudden, the plans we made, we had to cancel because we couldn't travel because we have to take care of her mother. But there's a grace. There's a grace, not, uh, you know, and we need more grace. But it's, it's God gives it. And he's saying here that I saw this, that you weren't just standing with me. But as God gave me the grace to be in prison and to be fruitful while in prison, God's given you a grace to support me and to stand with me. And, and, to, and to go through this humiliating, difficult experience with me, sharing in my humiliation, sharing with me through getting patted down by the soldiers, sort of humiliating, and, and all the other that goes with guilt by association, right? Oh, if you're standing with Paul and, and God's punishing him, well, you're in sin for supporting him. But they had grace to stay with it. And so Paul says, God is my witness. I have a special place in my heart for you. David Guzik says, Paul was a man towering with a towering intellect, but he also was a man of great heart. And the Philippian Christians were in his heart. He could even call on God to be his witness regarding the deep affection he had them. You know, you never really know who your true friends are until you go through a hard time. Right? I mean, I've got some friends that I've had for most of my life now, and we have been through so many hardships together. And sometimes it was being mad at each other. But you go through that, and you go through another one. There's so much water under the bridge, which really Deepens you and makes you like one soul, one brother, one man. Like, And so Paul is saying that this is what's happened with, and uniquely, the Philippian church. We're going to find in chapter 4 that most of his support was coming from the poor in the church. Even from widows in the church that were supporting Paul. And it was out of their need. It wasn't giving excess they had just sitting in a bank account somewhere out of their own need. In other words, they had to skip mills to support Paul. And he was had such a thankfulness in his heart that God was going to be able now to bless them with that heart of giving. Well, moving along here, we get to see now the substance of his prayer. In verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Paul, in this prayer, now again, we... we looked at some, two of Paul's prayers in Ephesians, and and he has other prayers in his other letters for the churches. So we, as a New Testament church, can really learn how to pray with maturity if we just follow Paul's outlines of his prayers, right? Because I I think often we pray for things that Paul never would have prayed for, And and I think that uh, sometimes that's our main thing. We're praying for ourselves, And it's, it's not something necessarily in the will of God. And, and we're just wasting our time, really. But here, he, he, he just has one thing. Paul has one string on this guitar in this prayer. And, and we're going to go through the next three verses, seeing that it all ties together and that I'm just praying for love. That's it. The Philippian church was already a loving church. But Paul said, man, I know when you hit that next level and that next level and that next level, because Paul in his life had to keep growing in love because he had so many enemies. He had so many people treating him wrong. Like I said, next week, we're going to look at these people that their main reason to exist as a pastor was to destroy Paul. And Paul says, I'm praying for him. I'm thankful for the right doctrine they are teaching. I think he really meant it. And so um, he says, wherever you're at in your pilgrimage in the area of love, I pray that it abounds more and more. This word abound in the Greek literally means to exceed whatever fixed number or measure you set. Paul does that in Ephesians, right? That God would do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. This is the same thing. Picture in your mind being the most loving person you could be. Or picture Jesus being loving and and that God would blow your mind with another area of love that you didn't even conceive. Isn't that what it says in Corinthians? You know, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor is even entered into the heart of man yet. The things that God has for us will love this area of love, that we would literally experience a love from Jesus, and then we would experience loving others in a a level we never even knew existed. But now our heart is really there in doing it. And, And then the next, he says, more and more. Now, we do have in the Greek where these two words, abound more, are together. And the word more here of itself is the idea of a super abounding. But when you put these two together, it's referring to an abounding beyond abounding that you can imagine. There would be a super abundance, a super abounding of love in your life. The New Living Translation, I like this, it says an overflow. What did David say? My cup overflows. From that overflow of love. Isn't that what we saw Jesus on the cross? Father, forgive him. It was just, bing. My mind just blew up. (laughs) What did, nails in his hand, nails in his feet, a crown upon his thorn. He's been beaten, his beard ripped out, spit upon, mocked. The God, the creator of this world who left the, the, the throne of glory and came into human flesh. And this is the period of the end of his life, of how man is going to treat him. Wow. And then it always blows my mind. Here, Jesus stays for 40 days. And then he says to the church, the 500 there, don't leave the prayer meeting until the promise of the Father's come. And out of that 500, 380 of them didn't tarry and wait, did they? The Bible says there was 120 in the upper room. I don't think it's stating that number with joy. I think it's stating the number of saying, many are called, but few are chosen. Many don't have a deep enough love to obey God to the degree he wants you to obey him. You know, that's the answer, guys. You don't need to, to pray, Lord, help that believer be more obedient. Just pray, God, give them a greater love That out of the love of their heart. Because isn't that a cult? A cult can make people obedient, right? Out of fear and intimidation and brainwashing. Isn't that what the Catholic Church does? They keep you coming because we're the only way to get to heaven. You need a priest to give you last rites and, and all of these things. You, you need us, you, you gotta have us, and without us, you're not making it to heaven. Yet people are being these religious Catholics and diligent Catholics and getting their kids baptized. And why? Because they love God? I'm sure there are a few, but yeah. So getting people to do the right thing isn't really our goal, is it? Getting people to be obedient really isn't the goal. The the goal is, is that out of a love of their heart, they're obedient, right? That there's a genuine submission in their heart to God. So if you want somebody to be more obedient, pray for a greater love to fill their heart. If you want to be more obedient, pray that God would fill your heart for a greater love for God. That there would be this superabounding, this overflowing love. It tells us in Romans 5.5 5, that this happens to every believer. This is one of the things being born again, all things becoming new. is when the Holy Spirit comes into our life. Guess what we get along with the Holy Spirit? This ability to have an overflowing, superabundant super abounding love. Boy, God made us in his image. So every human being, even atheists, have an ability to love. Right? I know atheists that love their wife, they love their kids, they love their grandkids, they love their fellow men. You can find non- non-believers who took their Military helmet off and threw themselves on a hand grenade and, and sacrificed their lives for their comrades, even though they, they themselves weren't believers. I'm sure you'll find that. I don't know of any examples of that, but I, I think that's true. So often, I think the failure of the church is we are not loving through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are equally as loving as the bowling league. As the Kiwanis Club, as the PTA meeting, we're we're as loving as everybody else in the neighborhood. But yet, we should be far more loving than that. Because God's Holy Spirit is coming to our life and he wants to shed abroad this love. He wants to superabound in this love. But as we've discussed before, we can quench the spirit. We can hinder the spirit. The work of sanctification is that that love would never stop growing. I mean, if you think about it, isn't that really the legacy we'll give to mankind? Isn't that really the greatest legacy to give to our kids and grandkids? Is just a love that is truly the agape love that the Holy Spirit has given us? You know, here's my fear. Is that many, many Christians are walking in a human love like all people do because we're made in God's image, but have never matured in their walk as the Lord to truly love through the Holy Spirit. Wow. What is the greatest thing to pray? Lord, fill us with the Spirit. What is the greatest thing any church can ever do? That's come together in love and pray. A spirit-filled prayer meeting always precedes any revival. And if you can somehow manipulate a group of people to fill up a building, you, you quickly begin to see them bite and devour and... And, and this human machine that's working together, the, the wheels are just grinding and grinding. But yet when God's Spirit, I think of those 3,000 souls that were saved on that day of Pentecost. They were full of the Spirit within weeks. There were deacons and, and elders and evangelists within weeks. It was just a true move of God's spirit. And I can tell you in the Calvary Chapel movement, that's exactly what we experienced. Years back, I I asked Odin Fong, I'm like, narrow down to me, what was it God did in the Jesus movement? He said, that's easy. There we experienced a love that we had never experienced ever before. And that love drove us and brought us to just want to know Jesus. We just couldn't get enough of Jesus. His love for us was so amazing. It was so real. And there was such a that love that Jesus put upon us. We were just giving it to each other. That was it. From that, music came. From that, evangelist came. From that, a growing Movement that spread throughout the world came. And he said, we've lost that. We've lost that. I think now we've sort of devolved into a human machine again, like all other denominations. And the answer for every church, doesn't matter, you know, and every church has those, the Methodist Church, the Episcopal Church, whatever church you go back to, they had that epicenter at the very beginning that, that was experiencing The supernatural love of God, not the human love, but a love that comes from the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying, Philippians, I experienced that with you, but I don't want to offend you. I I don't want to put you down because you guys stood with me like no other church did. And God gave you a grace and and it's wonderful. But there is a love that you guys aren't experiencing that's a love that's super abounding, a love that comes with knowledge and discernment that, that you don't know about. Oh, see, this is the key here. So Paul goes on to say to the Thessalonians church, once you get that love, he, he asked the Lord that they would increase in 1 Thessalonians 3.12, that they would increase and abound in love towards one another more and more and more. Did you catch that? That they would increase in love for one another and to all, he says in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. That is love amongst the church. You know, often that is the hardest love, people we know. Because familiarity breeds contempt. Okay, I do not know why. If you have raised teenagers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The time they are 15 or 16, they are sick of you. They're sick of your face, they're sick of your voice, they're sick of your rules, they're, uh, you know, I'm tired of mom's cooking, I am, you know, (laughs) familiarity. So often the the people to love is is in our home, in, in our church home. It's the hardest to love. And then to love the world. Boy, there's about half of this country I love. And there's another half of the country I really have a hard time loving right now. You can watch the news and figure out which half I'm talking about. But nevertheless, God gives us enough love. His super love would be for the believers that we know too well and the world that we don't know at all that need conversion Jesus told us in Matthew 10, 8, freely freely you have received, freely what? Give. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Well, hold it. I didn't think we had commandments as Christians. Yeah, this word commandment is probably a bad translation. It really is. Because it's the word principle, really. I, I think that would be more attuned to our modern English today. I'm not giving you a new law. Here's, here's number 11 out of number 10. No, it's not a new law. We have no new law. But here's the one singular principle. I've erased all the law. That's been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. But in the New Testament, if you need to hear the word law, then hear it. If you need a the word the commandment, hear it. If the word principle, which I think is more accurate... It's just everything doesn't matter if there's not love, right? Well, I didn't put the verse in there. You know at 1 Corinthians 13. Without love, we're a clanging cymbal, a blasting trumpet. We're very annoying. And every organization becomes very annoying if there's not love. In Christianity, it seems triply true. Because the world has an expectation of a love coming from us. And so often... We're not even loving at a human level. The PTA in town is more loving group of people than the church. Because we have stopped living a spiritual life. And the church has become a social center rather than really a spiritual center where we're growing in the inner man. You, you, you understand, guys, if I were pastoring in another denominational church in town, they would not tolerate me saying this. There would be a board meeting after this service (laughs) and they would be saying, "Uh, yeah, you got a few more months. We're replacing you. So pastors really can't tell the people the truth without repercussions. Well, I can say it. I love Jesus saying that in John 34, as I go love one another as I have loved you. And then he says it again a second time in that verse John 13, 34, he ends it, that you also love one another. So love one another, and he ends it saying love one another. Why? Because you personally, you 12 guys, know what it's like to be loved by God. You know what it's like to be around a person who is flowing with love. And that's why I've chosen you 12, so the church has started with this overabundance of love. Jesus planted the final seed, didn't he? Father, forgive him. They know not what they do. Today you'll be with me in paradise, he says to this horrible thief that had been persecuting him and mocking him along with the crowd. And then he breathed his last. And then he says, now go into a prayer meeting and don't stop that praying until the Holy Spirit is poured upon you. We say, oh, power, yep, power, but more than that. It was a love in its power that brought the church into this, into existence. That's how the church was bathed. And he says, you know how I know love? Because the father loved me like that. And now I've loved you the way the father loved me. Now abide in that love. And Graham Lodge, I don't know if you know her, Billy Graham's daughter, great quote. One of the best quotes I've heard. The first secret to loving others is to immerse yourself in a love relationship with God the Father and the Son and God the Holy Spirit and abide there. Isn't that where we should be every day? To come into the presence of God, to seek Him first, His kingdom and His righteousness, and say, nothing is going to matter at the end of this day if I have not been overflowing in love. I'm not going to have the boldness to witness. You know how? To be a better evangelist, to be a better witnesser. The love of Christ is overflowing. It compels you to get past yourself and your fears and your paranoias and your fear of rejection. And just, I can't not tell this person. I don't know this person, but the love of God is shedding abroad in my heart. I need to tell people about Jesus. I know one man, feeling that way, walked around with a pocket full of his testimonies. It was a couple of pages long. And every time he went into a store, he just handed it out and he's just like, I can't not tell you about how much God's loved me, how much God's forgiven me, how God has restored my life. And, And are the people annoyed in the grocery stores? No, they, they know this guy is so genuine. He's not like a Jehovah's Witness or Mormon, you know, powering out the evangelistic things they got to do. They know it's just like he truly wants you to know the love of God as he has known the love of God. And they receive it. Guys, I'm soaking you in what the father soaked on me. The Father loved me and I took that love of the Father and I've loved you in that way. You've been around it. And now you just need to come daily in the presence of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit who lives in you and say, Lord, pickle me. Lord, fill me up. Open the damn gates until I am am just busting, gushing forth uh, of the Holy Spirit's love unto eternal life. Did you know in the New Testament, the Bible commands us 50 times to love one another? Jesus said you can erase the entire Old Testament if you want, as long as you don't erase the one part. And you guys know that, right? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 to 40, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Another place it also says all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. So now we need to come to say, as wonderful as the filling of love is, we all know love is not a filling, right? Right? Because how many times have people been betrayed with the feeling of love? But yet, Hollywood has taught us the orchestra plays, you know, the jasmine bush. Oh, smells good. You know, you're never sick. You're healthy. Everybody's hair's just right. And, you know, you've got this deep kiss. I met you this morning, but now I'm kissing you with this everlasting love by evening. And, oh, we'll be together for eternity in this blissful, cloudy love. The Bible's not talking about this. This is made up in the last hundred years. Most cultures in the world, even to this day, still have appointed marriages. People don't choose their spouse out of this love. They're appointed, saying, hey, you're marrying her, you're marrying him. End of story. You'll love one another or kill each other. We don't care, but it's arranged. But, He says here, in knowledge, in all discernment. So let's just think just for a minute. We're not talking about a fanciful love or an impression of this loving thing. Let's get that out of our head. It's not in the Bible. I don't think Jesus was walking around going, I love you. I love you. I love you. I don't think he was doing that at all. I don't necessarily think Jesus was walking around feeling like, oh, oh, I love you. I love you and I love it. Oh, I have so so overwhelming. I have so much love and I feel loving. Oh, I just want to pick up every kid and you know, hug every you know. I don't think, I don't think that was going on. Because I don't think that is love. I think those are happy feelings. And you could get those happy feelings with drinking alcohol or smoking marijuana. Okay? They're feelings of our human nature and they're wonderful feelings. Like, you know, when my grandkids are unhappy, I say, Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, ice cream, birthdays, balloons. And then, oh, they're happy again, you know? Get their mind off their sadness for a minute. So, So let's just think for a minute. Jesus hanging on the cross, he's just thinking what I think everybody would be thinking. The sooner this is over, the better. I'm in a lot of pain. I'm suffocating every time I pass out. I hate that feeling of suffocation. I don't think he had some emotional, happy feelings of, I love you, Mr. Pharisee. is it any less is it any less love if Jesus was feeling feelings of anger but yet he spoke words of love Jesus was truly in pain was he a 100% man or not what are you when you're in pain are you feeling happy feelings of love why would we think Jesus would be then when the 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 thief was talking to him and said, hey, you know, basically forgive me and take me to heaven, was Jesus like, oh, of course I will. How about you, buddy? Or is it any less, if he was like going now, he's feeling like now you want to, you know, after all you did to me. If he was feeling for a moment, feelings of anger, but yet he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Does that story, is it less to you if Jesus didn't have feelings of love? But he did love perfectly? You see, here's the key, guys. The love of God, I think, is without feelings. I think it's beyond feelings, I think it's obedience. If I were to ask, and I'm not asking, please don't raise your hand. How many of you had to kick yourself and prod yourself to make it to church today? Our, our flesh never wants to do anything spiritual. It doesn't want to read the Bible. It doesn't want to pray. It doesn't want to go to church. It doesn't want to share the Lord. That's We're, we're really in sinful flesh, aren't we? But... For some of you to just love God, just say, Hey, I believe you are God, and you reward those who seek you. I'm gonna get this butt out of bed, I'm gonna get to church, and I'm gonna sing the songs and I'm gonna hug people and pray for people and 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 sometimes the feelings come, don't they? Okay? That's wonderful when they do. But does it really matter if the feelings show up or not? I would say when I am doing an act of love, 95% of the time, feelings never make it. Sometimes, if that that 5% that does make it, it's usually afterwards. You know, I go help somebody move, my back's hurting, and I, you know, broke my toenail off, and I'm in pain, and I gave up my whole Saturday, and it should have taken four hours because they didn't know what they were doing. It took eight hours, and, and I'm but I get home afterwards in pain going... It feels good, though. It feels good to give myself, but I have a good feeling. That doesn't always happen. A lot of times I'm, I'm thinking, man, I'm exhausted, and I'm going to be, you know, just killed this weekend. And But if the feelings come later or they don't come later, it doesn't matter. You see, when Paul says, I want you to love and knowledge." And all discernment. He didn't say, I'm praying that God fills you up until you have these happy feelings, and these happy feelings are are, are so overwhelming that you then obey God. He does not say that. And so I, I really want us to get the mindset that most of our true acts of love, our feelings are the opposite. I'm telling you, I forgive you, but inside, I'm so angry. I want to hit you. But I know those feelings are wrong because I have knowledge and I have discernment and Jesus has told me to forgive you. So even though, and then afterwards I go home and I'm still bitter. I said I forgive them, but they didn't apologize for this, and they didn't apologize for that, and they didn't even bring that up. And now I got to tell my soul, I got to tell my mind, shut up, you sinful, fleshly, no good body and mind and emotions. You obeyed God because you love God and And the feelings, isn't that that almost a greater act of love when you obey and your feelings are not helping you? How often do your feelings help you to pray? How often do your feelings help you to read the Bible? You see, most of the time, our feelings are part of our sinful flesh. We actually have to deny them to to love other people, right? Right? we got to beat our body into subjection to love other people. Now, if I love those who love me, that's wonderful. But if I love those, if I get rid of all those sinful feelings, and I love those who are mean to me and cruel to me and have stabbed me in the back and have done me wrong many, many times, and I still show them nothing but love, isn't that greater than to love those that love me and that are lovely, isn't it greater? So Paul here is saying, church, you've stood with me. God's giving you grace. I've seen the Lord work. I know you're believers. But you haven't yet gotten past just the regular old human love. There is a spiritual love that God's Holy Spirit is gonna give you as you grow in the Lord. And it's gonna be a super abounding, overflowing love. And when that comes, wow, watch out what God's gonna do in Europe when, when that happens. I mean, let's think here. Our church in this year, we just started this year, is three times the amount of people we are right now. But they've all come here because the love of God has just healed their soul through us loving one another. That's a church you want to be a part of, right? But if somehow we can manipulate three times the amount of people to come in here and they're mad and they're upset and, and I'm here because I sort of got manipulated to be here and uh, I didn't want to feel guilty, so I came and, and we got two-thirds more people that are more angry than happy being here. Do you want to be a part of that church? No, you, you really want a maturity to happen in believers' lives in the area of love. And then through love, we move mountains. Through love, we pray. Through love, we share our faith. Through love, we deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow Jesus. But it's not, I gotta take up this stinking cross. I hate it every single time. In here, I'm following Jesus. This is such a bummer. Wish he'd just kill me. Or just out of love. Oh, I love you, God. I wanna walk as you walk, Jesus, denying yourself, Taking up the cross, giving your, you who were rich became poor, that we might be rich. That's me. I want to be the servant of all men, just like you, Jesus. Truly. Not because I think I have to, or God's going to hate me, or I need to really give my body and be the servants of all men, because I just truly want to walk as Jesus walked, because I love him. Paul had it right here, didn't he? Now let's think about some other churches who didn't have the knowledge, who just went with their feelings of love. Because love without definition is not love at all. You understand this? You say love, you say love, you say love, you say love. We are not all saying the same thing. We have four different things going on here. Okay? So... To come to a conversation, okay, if I say pink elephant, I got a feeling we're all thinking the same thing. But if I say love, I do think that we probably will have a hard time finding two people defining it the same way. So without definition, love really has no meaning, okay? So we've got to give it a definition. And let's understand that the churches, People, believers, thinking they're loving God, serving God, doing Jesus's will, not only don't love people, but they become immoral, the church, in order to say they're showing love. Do you remember that story in 1 Corinthians 5? Where the guy probably was having an affair with his stepmom, destroyed his dad's marriage with his second wife, or third wife, or fourth wife, and, and his son But all these people are in the church. They're all Christians. He ends up marrying his stepmom. And the church thinking, well, the loving thing to do is just accept everybody no matter what the condition. And so it feels a little awkward to see the stepson kissing on his stepmom and holding hands and, and having this relationship. And it seems... Weird, but, you know, Christ would want us to accept everybody no matter what. Boy, when you read the Old Testament, the moral law stands. If God hated homosexuality in the Old Testament, he hates it today. Okay? If God says it's immoral to have sexual relations with your mother or your stepmother, which it does clearly say that in the Bible... And in the Old Testament, it was a literal, physical death. They were to stone them to death. In the New Testament, we just excommunicated from the church. And so Paul tells them, you guys are not loving. You're doing the opposite of loving. If you really want to love those guys, kick them out of church. And he says it plainly that their body would be destroyed, that their soul would be saved. And he says your glory is not good. It's leavening the church. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. But rather, you shouldn't be puffed up and say, man, we're the most gracious, loving group of people ever. You're not. You're not being gracious. You're not being loving. Because love, by definition, has to be in truth. What? Love has to have truth. I've never heard that before. Absolutely. It's got to be in truth. And this guy is not walking morally. He's not walking in the truth. And the whole church, by accepting it, it's as if you are committing the same sin by supporting this couple in their sin. So I tell you, the next time you get together, kick them out. And have no fellowship with them. Well, then it gets back to Paul. That Paul said, don't have fellowship with any non-believers. And Paul has to write at the end of 1 Corinthians 5. I did not say that. If I said don't have fellowship with all non-believers, then who would you ever witness to? No, I said, discern this, that Don't have fellowship with non-believers that have been excommunicated to the church who are in the process of being disciplined by God. Give them the cold shoulder till they repent. And in 2 Corinthians 2, what do we have? The guy repented. Because of this, he put away that marriage. He repented. The church went out and got him and brought him back. So his body was being destroyed and his soul indeed was saved. There's so many of these. Another issue, and again, when we want to look at a doctrine, we want to go from the New Testament, or from the very first of the New Testament of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation and say, what's the entire Bible say about this subject? Well, the subject of giving to the poor. Boy, there's a lot of verses that say, don't hold back giving to the poor, or you're in trouble. But in the New Testament, Paul makes it clear, no, 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 no there are times you can help the poor out and destroy them. We think of the the prodigal son, (laughs) right? If somebody had helped him out, he probably would have stayed away from the father. But the fact that he finally hit the bottom made him come back to the father. Paul tells the Thessalonian church, no, if you got some guy who's asking for a handout, but he's not willing to work like everybody else in society, then let him starve to death. Don't, don't help him. He, he talks about uh, guys who are not working to the degree they need to work. They're not really working to the degree they need to, and they're not supporting their family financially. And he said, don't help those guys. They're worse than unbelievers. And then he talks about the widows, who are widows indeed. Paul said it's a very select group of widows. And in verse 5 and verse 10, he gives a long qualification of the life they had to have lived for decades before they get to old age in order to be supported. And he plain out says, do not support younger widows because you will destroy them in the name of love and helping them financially. You're actually destroying them because they need to get remarried and they need to not have extra excess time on their hands as young people they'll end up having some really bad characteristics like gossip and being a busybody you'll destroy them in the name of love i've had i've had street people tell me you know they i don't know they can a lot of times discern you're a christian they're like hey the bible says that if you don't help the poor then you're no you're not a believer you know you're a believer when you help the poor So give me some money. And I'm like, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Satan quoted scriptures to Jesus as well. So just because there's a need doesn't mean you're supposed to meet it. When I was at Calvary San Diego, I mean daily, I would get orphanages around the world wanting us to support them. We we had enough money to support four orphanages, but we didn't have enough to support an infinite amount of orphanages, right? I had so many missionaries. I love them. I love their ministry, but we got to support the ones that God has given us to support fully and not give a penny to, you know, 10,000 missionaries give one penny. You you see what I'm saying? You're helping nobody. So love with knowledge and discernment to figure out how to do this. But let me go back. When we do have that true love that comes with knowledge and discernment, sometimes it looks like you're not loving at all. It looks the opposite. When they kicked that guy out of church with his father's wife, his stepmom, did that look loving to some people in the church? Do you think they had people in the church leave? saying, you're not loving. I don't want to be a part of a non-loving church. Yeah, it looked the opposite of love, but it was love. The most loving thing they could do to him then was excommunicate him. That was love. Did it look like love? Not to the undiscerning mind. To the natural mind, it seems foolish. To the natural mind, it seemed mean. To the spiritual mind, who discerns all things. That's love. So in the same way, when we have the true love, it's the most powerful, amazing thing a believer can be and do. Jesus said in John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are disciples. Wow, the world will know we're disciples by our love. In First John, John writes in chapter 3, verse 14, if we... Love our Christian brothers and sisters. It proves that we have passed from death to life. In 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. In Galatians, Paul says, in Galatians five twenty two, But the love of the Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. It's a joyful love. It's a peaceful love. He gives a description, but we're not going to go into that. Great story that you've probably heard of. But there was the Christian apologist, historian, Tertullian. And he talks about back in the second and third century when the Roman Roman government was disturbed about this huge Christian religion that started. They didn't know what to make of it. So they sent spies and to pretend they're Christians to the church. And they came back to the Roman government with this report. These Christians are very strange people. True, right? Let's get that right. They speak of one by the name of Jesus, who is absent, but whom they seem to be expecting at any time. And my, how they love him, and they love one another. Wow. That's the church I want to be a part of, right? Right? Well, in verse 10, moving on, this love will also approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ. So that, or in order that, you would have this ability to test. This word approve is the same word when they test metals, like to see if something's a pure gold, that your life is so full of love, you're able to prove what really is the loving thing to do. I'm out witnessing at times at Sill Beach, and I, I, I was learning through a guy named Eric. And the first time, we were talking to these junior high kids, and the mom was there. And he says, let me, let me ask you, Mom, do you know about Jesus? She goes, oh, yeah, I was raised in a Baptist church uh, until I went to college. I, yeah. I I know the Bible. I was raised in the Christian church. Every Sunday, my parents were there with Sunday school teachers, the thing. And so then he asked the junior high kids, so tell me about Jesus. She says, oh, they don't know anything. I just decided not to tell them anything, let them figure it out on their own. Let me tell you what Eric did. He bit her a new one. He literally rebuked her and says, doesn't the Bible say we're to teach our kids while you sit down, while you rise up, while you go along the way? You have damned your kids to eternal life with such foolishness. You of all people who have so much light, but purposely, by being lazy or ignorant, have led your kids into darkness. And I, at first when he did it, I'm like, whoa. You know, and then down the road when I was by myself, I found the Holy Spirit leading me in the same way. That was the most loving thing I could do is rebuke them in that situation. So he says here, so that you can approve, you can test and know what is true love in this situation. How can I love God in this situation? How can I love my fellow man in this situation? And then he said, till you come to an excellence. That everything about you is excellent. Wow. When we think about Jesus, he was excellent. When the father said, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased, we're like, yeah, me too. (laughs) It says that everything Jesus did was pleasing to God and to men because he was walking in mercy and truth and grace. Wow. Paul says, hey, me and the guys with me, We stumbled nobody because we were walking in love. We were walking in grace. We were walking in such a way that you guys would be blessed. And if you follow our example, Paul actually says, if you walk in the traditions we laid down for you, the peace of God will be in your life. Wow. That's love. And, of course, we know that, don't we? There's that saying attributed to a number of people. But good, better, best. Never let it rest until good is better and better is best. Do you think that Paul was saying that? I don't want you to have good. I don't want you to have better. I want you to have the best Christian life. He tells us about this in Romans 12 too. We know this verse well. To not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, test, same thing, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Paul is saying, I want you to experience a love that comes from God alone through the spirit alone and your life is now lived in this love with knowledge and discernment. Sometimes you're rebuking people. Did Jesus rebuke people? Man, it's amazing because 1 Corinthians 13 says, love does not behave rudely. Was Jesus ever rude? Absolutely. But it wasn't, it was love. When he tells the Pharisees, "You're of your father, the devil, and you receive him. If one true God comes, you reject him. But if another one comes in God's name, you will receive him because it's the devil, and that's who you want to accept. Your whitewashed tombs of dead men's bones, your sons of hell, and those you proselyte are twice the sons of hell as yourself. Was that true? Was that loving? Was it rude?" No. You know why it wasn't rude? Because many Pharisees believed after Christ raised from the dead. How many of those Pharisees' testimonies might have been Jesus rebuked me and said I was from the devil? It's a loving thing to do. And then he goes on to say that you might have sincerity. This word literally means to be judged in the light, in the sunlight. You bring something out, and you like a diamond, and you're looking using the full brightness of the sun to see its purity, that you might be able to walk. The Bible says in Romans 12:9, to let love be without hypocrisy. That's the same English word from the Latin, hypocritos, to, to have it, not, not be a hypocrite. Without offense, without stumbling others, more than that. You're not just not stumbling people, but you're without fence. You're leading people. You're, you're giving them a smooth path with your lifestyle. Till the day of Christ. I don't know about you, but one day is, is hard for me to get through without stumbling. Until the day of Christ, you'll just walk in this little... Man, I can't even make it till noon. When I read these kind of things going, God, if you're saying that... I need to walk in this way with this love and without hypocrisy and not stumbling people and, and, and have the wisdom to know what to say, when to say, how to say, and, and, and just walk in this love. God, how can I do this? And God isn't saying that you do it. Guys, this is so important. We can't do it, can we? Not without God doing it through us. We need prayer. We need to pray for one another. Guys, I'm not loving as I should be. I need you to pray for me to be loving as I should be. What do you want me to pray for you about? Well, after this sermon today, hopefully there's only one thing on your list. Just like there was only one thing on Paul's list, right? In verse 11, finishing this up, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Now he says it there, doesn't he? In verse 11, which are by Jesus Christ. That there would be fruits of righteousness by Jesus Christ. Isn't this where we come down to it? We've got to be filled by God with those good fruits. We don't have the good fruits on our own. And if we strain and strive, we still can't produce fruit. We have to abide in the vine. John 15, 4 and 5 tells us, it plainly doesn't. Abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So I think we need to be careful not to fall into the trap of keeping a list of things we have to do to please God. That's religion, that's not relationship. In reality, we simply just need to be close to Jesus, like Anne Graham Lott's quote, right? Jesus wants to do the work in us, the good things that happen in our lives happen as a result of our relationship abiding in Jesus. And Jesus produces that fruit. Well, Lord, once again, we come back to the place that it's you, Lord. In us, Lord, there is no good thing that dwells nor can anything good thing ever dwell. It's through you, Lord. Overcoming this sinful mind, this sinful feelings, the sinful body. Oh, we groan. No good thing that dwells in us. But yet we get it now, Lord. We, we have a single bullseye. We have a single focus now. Jesus, it wasn't the miracles you did. It wasn't even the words that you spoke. It wasn't raising the dead. It wasn't even hanging on the cross. It was loving us. The Father loving us, sending his only Son. The Son loving us, coming into human flesh. And it was on love that you hung on that cross and stayed on that cross it was love in the garden of gethsemane that didn't call every angel out of heaven to defend you and to keep you from the cross it was love that caused you to be a man acquainted with grief and sorrow and yet you continued that you could be tempted in all ways pressured in every way tried in every way without sin that you could be our great intercessor now Thank you, Lord, and we know it's that love now, God. Forgive us for buying into the Hollywood's version of love being a filling and waiting for fillings to move us to pray, fillings to move us to go to church, fillings to move us to read the Bible. Forgive us, Lord, for fillings. We know that's not what we're waiting for. It's just like we're not waiting for our flesh to get less sinful to be less sinful. We know it's you. We know the greatest thing in loving you is just deny yourself daily, take up a cross and follow you and to love our neighbor as ourself. Search our hearts now, Lord. See, I won't even say see if, see the wicked ways in us. Cleanse us, heal us. As you've washed us in your word today, now heal us, Lord. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen, amen.